New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Podcast, we are at episode 513. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and great to have with me Sarah Putt. How are you today, Sarah? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So we're always good to have you on the show. Maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big, wide world of tech and media in New Zealand. Certainly. I am editor of CIO and Computer World in New Zealand. Very important role indeed. Thank you. And a privilege to have your your comments and uh, learnings to share here on the podcast. Now, some interesting things to delve into today. We want to talk about uh, a big global firm that's landing in New Zealand uh, next week, mm-hmm. a, a Chinese firm, but with an a gro- increasingly growing uh, footprint. And what does that actually, uh, what does that mean for the incumbent uh, players and yep. uh, for for um, New Zealand, uh, Google and their uh, antitrust uh, situation? Yes. Are they the first of of many big US tech players to to be under this sort of scrutiny? We want to delve into something that's happening locally, uh, partnership between Spark and Sky. Yep. And what else have we got? A follow-on from last week talking about Starlink, which is the satellite internet service uh, that Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, is uh, is getting ready to launch uh, locally, and mm. New Zealand is uh, is is one of four, um, I guess, you know, key locations on the map globally for actually uh, turning that service on. And we've got a couple of devices here, uh, but the the iPhone uh, the iPhone 12 is the uh, is the newest yes. gadget on the block, uh, having uh, having just arrived in uh, well w- worldwide really uh, on Friday. And so just a you know some some quick commentary on that. It's too early to to give a you know an in depth, and of course the whole iPhone 12 family is not here yet, but uh, yep. it will be good just oh, to have preview. a little bit of a look at that. Mm. And keen to hear from you around um, an interview that you've done for Computer World magazine about the new uh, telecommunications commissioner. Well, yes, absolutely, and keen to share that because it um, can sometimes be a dry regulation, but in actual fact, um, he's got some, I think he's going to do a really good job, and I think he's got some interesting things on his agenda. So that's, hopefully we'll have a good uh, chance to have a look at those. Great. Mm. Well, the first topic is a company that looked as though they had the potential to be uh, somewhat disruptive, um, Quibi. Mm. Now, very well-funded you know, startup, north of $2 billion New Zealand dollars, uh, Steven Spielberg amongst the uh, you know the filmmakers that they uh, brought on to to launch this service and we, yeah we've talked about them a number of times here on the New Zealand Tech podcast because it was something new but launching not just into the US market but into New Zealand and, and other markets uh, so you know Kiwis were able to jump on board and to try this service they're they're big u- unique uh, that. Uh, that sort of stood out to me, uh, and there, I guess there were there were two things. One, the content could be consumed on your phone vertically. It was meant to be. Uh, yeah. 
or horizontally, and it would actually work. You know, it was it was uh, created in such a way that it would work reasonably well in in both uh, both instances. And so, yeah, there were some quite quite you know good good shows on there. Um, there this is it was a, it yep. was a, yeah, yeah a little bit of a mix. Mm. The app wasn't available uh, until I think actually just probably the last few days until it uh, became uh, launched on things like Apple TV and and um, I think probably the Samsung TVs and whatnot. So you know, going going on to actual TV screens before that, it was mostly just on your mobile device. Uh, the other thing was very short episodes, snackable. So content. yeah, mm-hmm. as you say, mm-hmm. snackable, the easy sort of thing that you can just sit and watch an episode while you're you know waiting for a bus or whatever thing that you do that doesn't take too long. Um, and boom. It's gone. it's it's already been announced that it'll be it'll be gone by I think first of December. So yeah. a few few more weeks left. You almost wonder why they haven't just sort of pulled the plug and and uh, and refunded money. But I guess that gives them time to wind it down. They the uh, you know their their customer base I think um, was was quite was quite small ultimately out of those who who signed up for uh, for the trial um, the very large majority of them never got any further than um, the initial I think it started as a three month trial and then they shortened up the trials mm. uh, they might be wanting to have some content run through as well and there might be some deals that will move from that platform onto more established ones mm. um, but yes such an interesting story Queeby because like you said extraordinarily well funded an idea that probably sounded like a winner, you know, five to seven minute content um, created by some of the best in the business. I mean, they had some great stars in there. J-Lo was one that I saw. Um, all sorts of other people like that. Very established. Uh, headed by um, two giants from tech and entertainment. I think one came from Disney, was it Je- Jeffrey Katzenberg? Mm. And then another from HP. Yeah. So you had, um, that was... Um, Meg Whitman. Yeah. So you had these these two big players coming together, and I think it's something that sounded great on paper and not so good in reality. I think they looked at places that um, uh, social networks like TikTok. So, I mean, obviously that was like that's like fifteen seconds, but it saw an opportunity for short content. But they completely missed the whole point of of TikTok and the reason why it's so popular. They were managing and came from worlds where scarcity was the business model and they didn't understand abundance whereas TikTok totally gets abundance it's all about user generated content it's not about quality per se it's about just getting it all out there they prefaced on the idea that content can be curated by people who know and understand entertainment hence the Disney background they forgot that TikTok is all about the algorithm the algorithm finds the content that everybody wants right then and there they also launched, sadly, just before coronavirus, and it was a mobile platform, and nobody's going anywhere. And, so, and mm. what that, for me, raises raises a question, um, and this is partly triggered by the email that I got from Apple a few days ago saying uh-huh. that my, my free trial to Apple TV has been extended by three months or something. Okay. Right? So what this says to me is that it's not just Quibi that are struggling to launch a new video platform in the current times. Apple don't want to lose their huge subscriber base who have taken Apple TV for free either. So 
I, I do wonder if this had been you know launched at a different time yep. what it, Timing is what it would have looked like also mm. we are we are in a world where a lot of big things have already been done right so you imagine that this this had launched and we didn't have a netflix that, oh. would, that would be such a different story, right? Now, Possibly, we, yeah. we, we, mm. are, we are in the world with Netflix, but even for Netflix, it took them some time to sort of, you know, really to scale, scale uh, that up. It was, it was somewhat slow in the early days, for, certainly for a, you know, a, a broad you know, range of age groups and, and people and you know, countries and so on to to adopt it um, and there's this you know, you know, approach that that expects a very quick return and I imagine all the investors looking in will be like, looking at is this the right place to have our money tied up for the next one, two, three years at the end are we going to have more money than we started with or less maybe actually we can get a reasonably, you know, reasonable chunk out right now yeah, you bring up so many important points there. So just two I want to tackle if I can. The first is the Netflix. That is a classic example of a ladder of investment. I mean, they started off sending, um, you know, DVDs in the mail. And then as the technology got better, as broadband got better, they got better. And then, of course, the turning point was things like House of Cards, etc., when they made their own content. Classic ladder of investment. The second point you make is um, the times we live in. And I'm just counting them on my hands as you're speaking, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV, um, our own Neon. You know, you're seeing so many more streaming services. And it's interesting that Apple TV have extended their trial because to Apple I say Disney+, Plus because that launched in November last year. And as we know, it took all the content out of, its, out of places that had, you know, had otherwise had held. I think Sky suffered from, from losing some yeah. of that Disney content. Yeah. But it's a, it's a no-brainer if you've got kids under 15, right? Kids under 10. Um, and so, but households can only afford so many streaming services. Agreed. What is your discretionary spend in this? Is it around 50, 60 bucks? In which case, you're looking at three. You're probably going to get Disney Plus if you've got kids. You're probably going to get some sort of sport offering, which is your Sky or your Spark Sport. We're going to talk about that, um, and then maybe one other, uh, and and I think that's what's happening is that it's just there's just so much out there. What are you going? You're probably going to consolidate around three, and I think that the Quibi wasn't compelling enough uh, for people to, to to really take it up. And it's a completely new brand. It doesn't have a big got you know, no brand behind it. There's no. no you know Apple that's pushing it out, and and oh yeah, you can have it for a year. Yeah, you can have it for 15 because months it, b- behind it and so on. It needs to stand on its own two feet very quickly. And actually, that's really, that's really, really hard to do. And we've seen the same even uh, you know, video streaming services launching here in New Zealand. Neon did you know, really poorly uh, when, it, when it first came out. Mm. Uh, really, pretty much everything local in terms of, of streaming, unless it was you know, tied in some way to a, a, a big event where people had no no option. I'm talking, you know, thinking Rugby World Cup. Mm. Um, then, hey, that was how you had to consume that piece of content. But in terms of, you know, just more more entertainment, lots of choices. So absolutely, yeah, really, so- really interesting, really interesting time. Um, 
and I mean, there's a there's a sort of a, really a whole discussion and, and investigation that could be done into that. And I'm hoping to to maybe produce a separate discussion around that as a separate uh, piece of content within a, another project I'm working on. So we'll we'll see how we we'll see how we go on that Str- front. Streaming services are fascinating, and 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 to, just to close that off, the Disney um, Plus is a great example because now that they're attractions, you know, Disney World and Disneyland and Euro Disney and all the rest and not getting anybody going to them. The Disney Plus is really becoming the star of the show. So it's very, it's such an interesting um, mm, world. Mm. Mm. Um, Didi is a, a company we've we've spoken about in the past on the New Zealand Tech Podcast because they were the competitor that Uber tried to take on mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Chinese market, and they they just couldn't uh, they couldn't win. And so, in the end, they did this deal where they sold Uber uh, in in China. Uh, I mean, they they did a cup. They did a. I think maybe they've done two different deals um, in Asia. I'm trying to remember the name of the um, um, the other the other. Well, there's a number of players now in in the Asian market. But if we look at New Zealand. Um, you know, I remember talking about many, many years ago when we saw you know Uber was going to come mm. in and, and these things, and the discussion was um, why don't the why doesn't the, the incumbent industry work out a way to get together and launch the competing product before they miss out and lose all their market share? Um, interestingly, we had an announcement down that track. At least for New Zealand, anyway, nothing on a global basis, which you know would have been the way to really make that sort of thing fly. Um, with the, the one of the local, and I'm trying to remember its name here. You might be able to remind me the local. Uh, that's the Indian one. Yeah. So we've got Ola, Uber, and now we're going to have Didi, and then we've got the other one in the market whose name will 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 come yes, back to I'm, me while, I'm, while, I'm while, 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 while we're chatting. While we're chatting, yes, exactly. Um, um, so, but it's a lot in a in a market like ours yeah, and during a time it, of coronavirus. It is, mm, and mm. the thing about the these these sorts of players of scale that it's very very hard to do with a you know a small and not well funded local entity. Uh, is they've got access to capital and they're willing to buy that market share. So yeah. um, I've been seeing the ads probably because I've clicked through. Now they just they just keep coming at me. I, I don't know if you have been, um, but DD are, are pushing a you know, 50% off deal for I think the first month. So their idea, idea is basically just to Swamp grab them. up as much market share as they can for a month at a very low price. Uh, their model aims to take less of a cut than Uber does. And so we we could well see some fallout, and I don't know how long this would take. I don't know how many players you can realistically fit into a market and still get good uh, good pickup times and, and so on. Obviously, there are, there are some uh, areas where uh, – or some – 
services where it only makes sense for there to be one player. As we've seen, say, with Trade Me here in New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to work reasonably well for just one player. Um, probably um, eBay, ha- I mean, it'd be interesting to know eBay's sort of stats and numbers for New Zealand. They haven't focused at all on the local market, but shipping international product into New Zealand, you know, there's a fair bit of that stuff that, that goes on alongside the AliExpresses and and so on. Um, but this one is going to be fascinating to see how it uh, how it actually shake, shakes out. What's your what's your thinking? Well, I, I definitely think you're right. I mean, with the Uber versus Didi, um, you know, coming to New Zealand, it is an interesting space. I think the hardest thing that they'll find is getting people to download that app. And the reason I say that is I saw a really good presentation from about from Flamingo in the mobile scooter um, space, mm. and they said um, it was a, a couple of um, people who started it in New Zealand. It's a homegrown, um, uh, what is it? What do we call them now? Micro mobility solution or, mm, or, mm. or electric scooter solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's up against all the big guns from overseas. Um, and then it just got cut out of the Auckland market because the Auckland Council made that decision. Every, every year it reviews who's going to be on the streets and who isn't. And yeah. it wasn't their year. Um, interesting. But um, to go back into the ride sharing market, they the Flamingo people said the hardest thing that they didn't realise was actually getting people to download the app. Once they already had one app, that was it. That's all there. That was all enough for them. They just yeah. kept going back yeah. to the same to the same again. So you're going to have to look at really good deals, which is where a really well funded um, organisation like Didi does help. To your point, yeah, because Z- they can Zoomy, throw. Zoomy's the other one, which and I do oh, always, I do always forget yes. their name. Interesting. I'm just just looking at the Google Play Store. They've got a rating here of you know of three out of five. I remember in the early days, the, the solution, if you call it that, was was rubbish. Just didn't work. Yeah, um, it, it's come it's come a long way. A lot of you know, a lot of people use it now. You know, I think it's re- it's actually reasonably good. But um, oh, actually, it's got uh, it's got just about as many uh, one one star reviews as it does have uh, five five star reviews, which oh. is, a, is, a, is 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 somewhat worrying. So um, <laughs> I have haven't used it for uh, for 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 some time. But what's your go to Uber? Right. It, it so tends to be as as someone that that uh, travels and uses Uber Eats, you kind of you land in that ecosystem for better or for worse. And I know some people won't use it because you know, they're they're very uncomfortable with it from an ethical perspective. Yes. I I don't know how that you know stacks up between the companies. One thing that Didi is saying is they're going to take a smaller slice, from the but driver. also yeah. if their rates are lower then the driver doesn't end up taking away uh, any more. One thing I do like with Uber now and Uber Eats is you can, uh, you, you know, you can you can tip. Um, so they brought that in from America, and and I know that can feel a little bit weird in New Zealand because we're not used to doing that. But it does mean that you know if you, if you feel it's appropriate or you can afford to, then you can actually pay you know more for a ride or a food delivery, which is great. And that and they give that opportunity for that driver to make more money from yeah, from and what it goes it goes straight through yeah. to you know to the to the um, to the driver. Yeah, yeah. it'll be really interesting to know. 
why they see this market as relevant and if they're just going after Uber's business everywhere. Because there was the whole con- that whole talk about worldwide domination, and it certainly happened those three or four years ago when Uber realised actually we're just not never going to get in China. It's going to be the local player is going to take the take market, so we're just going to we're just going to have to sort of bow out. And that was sort of their first sign of kind of retreat. They hadn't retreated from another market before, mm. and now Didi's coming after them on its turf as so, well as well as Ola that sort of you know, came, from, Zumi, came from nowhere. I don't think you know most most people had heard of it, and it just sort of you know by stealth quite quickly you know entered into multiple uh, markets. Uh, you know after uh, you know including India, they moved into UK, New Zealand, Australia, and and others. And um, you know it just shows the global world we're in. If you can get that model right. You can just transplant and start taking over Every markets yeah. all, all around the world, and of course, it makes uh, you know sense for Didi, the Chinese company. Probably the, you know their general running overheads are probably a whole lot lower. And I mean, I know just talking to the to the team uh, around the the gorilla office is they will often you know fire up. How much is this journey going to be on one app? How much is it on the other? Particularly if it's a you know twenty versus thirty dollar, it's another five dollars in their pocket. Um, you know that can be that can be a big the, uh, a big motivator. That's a good point because let's face it, ride sharing is a bigger investment into than um, than catching a, a scooter. You know, so so you are looking. At, at a higher differential, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you are careful with your money, and you possibly do want to go through all the and compare all those apps. Then, then go for it. But um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens um, and how if how and if Uber fights back. But I know that I'm in the Uber ecosystem, and I get a lot of emails trying to sign me up to Uber Eats. So discounts, you know, discount here. All, you know, all sorts of things. You've only got that, a couple of days do, left, yeah. and then it turns out I've actually got a couple of months. But you know. And they and and they really these companies really know how to use their data and you know turning one knob a discount knob or another yeah. thing, uh, you know keeps you or brings you back. If oh why haven't they been you know using my service for a while? It might be that you're actually just catching the bus, but yeah. from their perspective, <laughs> you you could be using another service. So the discounts get higher and higher. You know I know uh, around our office. Um, Uber Eats deliveries for lunch is as as a, a common thing, yeah. a joint order, and I think at least at least two uh, of the team have free deliveries for you know the next at least couple of months, and so um, you know we, we we get a little bit lazier about wandering out for uh, for lunch and so on. Despite the fact that you live there, you you work very centrally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it always the way? <laughs> the closest you are to something, the longer it takes you to get there. Now, we should talk about Google. Yes. They are... Um, it's time to talk about it, Google. Yeah, yeah this, this will, will be something that I'm, I'm sure some of the folks at, uh, at Microsoft will, will be, um, you know, having some interesting thoughts about because it was, yeah, it was really, a, you know, a generation ago that, um, 
Microsoft had their. It was. I don't know how you measure a generation, by the way. No, but, I'm, um, just, yeah, um, I'm not sure. But, but uh, yeah, there's late eighties, you know, early nineties. Yeah, it, was it sort didn't of, get settled till two thousand and two. You know, massive antitrust case against Microsoft. Huge. Were they going to split it up? They didn't in the end. It just skated through, but it went on for a decade. Yeah. And are we doing this again with Google? You know. And and are other companies? In uh, the yeah, going yeah. going to be uh, hit as well. And you know, we read the Department of um, uh, Justice and and the US have also been in, investigating uh, other other players, Amazon and, and Apple, uh, given mentions. We've had discussions this year around the the hold that Apple uh, and Google have on their app stores. Yes. Uh, this antitrust uh, case seems to be fairly heavily centred on search, which I, I find fascinating because I've tried other search engines. I'm yet to yet to find anything that that works as well as Google. Now, of course, when you've got that much market share, you can keep pouring a lot of a lot of money yeah. into it and, and, it, yeah. and so on. So, um, but still, I think uh, Microsoft through. The, the coverage they have with Windows, with their Edge browser and, and so on, uh, they still hold something like 20% of the market in, in the US. So it's not, a, it's not an insignificant amount, but it's a, it's a tiny business compared to, to Google's. And um, Microsoft, and, and look, there could be other players that could have come in and innovated if they thought that they had a chance of actually taking, uh, you know, taking that market share. Well, what I find interesting about this Department of Justice, um, you know, they've obviously just served this the papers uh, last week. I find it what's really interesting is that it's quite a narrow. They've come at quite a narrow lens, and they're mm-hmm. basically honing in on this idea that Google pays. It's their default arrangements that they pay, uh, like an Apple, billions of dollars every year to be the default browser when they ship the iPhone, and they do that just with other mobile manufacturers and also with their own, obviously Android, mm. and also with um, some carriers in, in America in particular and some web browsers like, you know, I think uh, Mozilla is one. Yeah. So they, so what they're doing is that they're saying that these deals are anti-competitive. Now, Google has been fighting, I think it's had three um, trust cases in the in the European, with the European Commission. And it's, and it's I think there's been about $9 billion worth of fines, which to you and me is like 20 cents, right? So it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a bit of... T- <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than 20 cents. To, to them, it's, tr- it's to the, about to 20 cents. To them, it's 20 cents. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the equivalent it's to life our and death 20 cents. Yeah, well, you know, it's life, death, and several <laughs> generations beyond us, probably. But it's um, it's it takes a lot of time, and it's not great publicity, but the fines, they can, they can get through it. What will be interesting here is if they can make it stick, and that's why I think the D- D- Department of Justice has gone for quite a narrow um, uh, a narrow case, if you like. So they've got to prove that the fact that they have sh- have the power to pay all this money to get these default um, their, their search engine by default on these devices means that they have an unfair advantage over their competitors. Now Google is saying if it's a competitive market. As, as our founder Larry Page said, everything's just a click away. You can easily slip to another to another web browser. You don't need to go to ours. But but 
consumers face the idea of inertia. They mm. just mm. don't. Mm. And to your point, the more you use Google, the more they know about you, the more, the better they're going to be able to provide you with answers to your queries. And so they have that edge. It is a long and hard legal fight ahead. And one commentary I said that saw actually said they're probably not even going to get into court until 2022. It'll also be interesting to see what the elections do because we know that the Republicans and Donald Trump in particular have, have really turned and gone anti-tech. Mm, but, mm, the, mm. but Silicon Valley seems to be uh, quite Democratic, Democrat Party friendly. Yep. Apparently Biden, the vice the presidential candidate, has been quite quiet on this. But it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens post-election, who gets in and how they go. Um, there's certainly an appetite to say, hey, these companies are huge, not just Google, but Amazon. Microsoft, all of them, they're worth collectively $5 trillion. There's like five companies, over $5 trillion. They are booming and everybody else is just going flat or going down. So they're definitely going to be in the spotlight for years to come. You look, the size and scale of the big tech firms makes it really challenging on others. And I've got something else coming up that I'm going to delve into um, to do with with retail and, and a, yeah. a small uh, New Zealand player that's that's doing something that, that sort of butts heads in a way with Amazon, which is um, is really interesting. But um, for those who are interested in, in sort of reading around um, Google's rise, there's a, um, there's a book and they, they delve into a, um, a book called uh, Measure What Matters. Now, it's, it's about um, leading a business and using objectives and key results as a as a mechanism for sort of you know driving um, growth and and creating a um, a positive culture within a team. Um, which, and this this the concepts sort of uh, come and draw heavily on on, on Intel and, and their history, um, but they do delve into Google Chrome and growing it as this you know this this little product that they were hoping would win some market share, mm. and it's quite fascinating uh, hearing that particular story. And there's lots of stories in in the book, but that's one where they sort of delve into and and talk about some of the goals and stretch goals and so on that they set and uh, and and that growth over a period but now that they're there and of course Google were well able to fund that but now that they're there in the strong position it's just it's one of the things that does make it you know quite hard should a you know a small startup come along and decide all right we've we've worked out how to you know be better at delivering search than Google, uh, very, very hard for uh, for that small player to, to come into the market. And it's a little bit like what we were talking about earlier with sort of competitors to Netflix and mm. and other things. And, you know, even we look at new phones and new technology now, most things are only able to edge up a sort of a small increment. Yeah. Whereas when Google came into the market, it was a much bigger increment on, I think, AltaVista from yeah, what I recall one, was, yeah. was kind of the... Yeah. The, I, I remember people saying, "Hey, you've got to go to this new mm. uh, new search engine, AltaVista, when it when it came out." 
and then you know Google was kind of the next one, and you know they, I guess they were both a bit more of a jump over what was there previously. But you know Google really, really nailed it. And if something else was in the market that genuinely better, uh, yeah, it would you, it would, you it would have imagine, to be yeah. so much better for it to actually you know win that share. And of course, you imagine Google would have the time to be able to. Um, yeah, catch up re- well, what, you know, reasonably quickly. Well, there's a. I just want to do two things there. So the first thing is, it's not just search anymore. It's YouTube. It's Android, and a lot of people would like to see them broken up. Yeah. The second thing that I would really like to say is, why is Google so big? And why are all those companies so good? Because they're good. Because consumers love them. Because you can talk about data all you want and and how invasive it is. But at the end of the day, what are you gonna, where are you going to go when you want to find something out? You know. And this mm. is the thing: is that they just deliver a seamless service. And this is the whole point: is that consumers they're making money because consumers like what they're offering. Yeah. Amazon's doing well because consumers like that whole consumer f- focus. Focused service, and it's just um, really interesting to see how Ameri- these these big American companies, because we can talk about China as well, you know. But in this particular case, they were great U.S. companies. They were everything that represented what was great about the U.S. Washington, the pol- political scene, loved them. And now, especially following the 2016 elections, when they saw how YouTube and Facebook were used by the Russians to influence the election through fake, you know, through, through disinformation and all those sorts of campaigns, they suddenly realised that it, they didn't just have economic power; they had political power too. And there is something when you stand back and you look at these big companies and you go, they have a lot of power. It's not democratic power. You know, to switch over to Facebook, for example, is it right that Mark Zuckerberg, who has, you know, majority say in that business, has such a big say over about what the rest of us see, even when we're not on Facebook? Well, he's got, he's mm. got more power than most if not all, you know, leaders of countries, right? He doesn't have a military behind him. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, he. he I is, mean, yeah, his, he his, 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 his level, his level of con- control, is, uh, is, you know, with, with, with yeah. you know, yeah, use or misuse of, uh, you know, of such a powerful platform. But, but why is he there? Because can, can can bring down, you know, um, oh, you know, regimes, and can win wars, all of that sort of stuff, right? And that, also that's, provide that's a whole possible. bunch of mayhem and 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 disquiet yeah. and, yeah. and horror in the world. Let's face it. So, but again, delivering and giving the people what they want, you know, and in a way that's um, you know, Facebook is, the drug for the masses. Yes, and all of that. So, <laughs> so you really just have to. There's just so much in there, and we could. Yeah. I think we could talk for a long, long mm. time. But mm. I know that you've mm. got other topics <laughs> on your list. We did. We did have a couple of other things that we, we were hoping to get through, Sarah. So, um, we we probably should uh, look at. That. So we talked earlier about streaming and from you know the the um, TV program type uh, perspective with with Quibi. Uh, also, I heard, and I'm sure you did today as well. From uh, from it was a, a joint news from Sky and Spark, mm. and this was something that I wasn't expecting. And what Spark are doing is they're offering this uh, joint bundle that for fifty dollars a month delivers uh, Spark Sport 
as well as Sky Sport, their you know, on-demand streaming service. Now, they're delivering that for $50 a month. Mm-hmm. This is interesting because Spark... Uh, Sky Sport on its own mm. is usually $50 a month yep. uh, if you're buying it on a month-to-month type basis. And so they're offering it at the standard price, but it includes uh, their service. Now, we don't know what the arrangements are behind the scene. scenes. They've talked about a six-month agreement, so we don't know how long this thing uh, endures gonna... for. We don't know whether this is Spark's way of trying to piggyback on the success of of Sky to build their own market share. Their, their offering with uh, Spark Sports usually about $25 a month. Mm. Uh, so you, there are a few ways you could slice and dice it and say, well, sign up and you're basically getting Spark Sport for free mm-hmm. with your Sky. Um, that said, if you pay for Sky uh, Sport for uh, one year in advance, it actually comes down to $25 uh, a month. So there, there's a, you know, a different ways of of, um, you know, there's quite a big uh, price range there. And, yeah, you can look at it from the perspective that, oh, well, maybe maybe Sky are going to look to uh, – or Spark are going to look to, you know, divest and exit the sport uh, thing at, at some stage. Or you could take it from completely the opposite end of the scale and say, well, this this is part of uh, what they're doing to accelerate their, their success. How, I mean, how do, you, how do you take this? Well, I think you're absolutely right. There is just so many ways. Then, first of all, I would say that you've probably outlined the bones of the deal, but there's lots of caveats so anybody who's listening wants to pop on they're going to have to go and work it out where they sit because I must admit I got a bit stuck in the quagmire trying to work out what I was eligible for and what I wouldn't be eligible for um, but it is it is interesting because we did see these two as, as arch competitors about a year ago when we were talking about the Rugby World Cup and you know you know, you had all these the, the former CEO of Spark doing all sorts of crazy things on his Twitter you know throwing his skybox in the bin and all this kind of stuff and it was all on for young and old, right? But then I think reality set in. The Rugby World Cup maybe didn't come off as well as they'd hoped. Um, the Sky, Sky has just, you know, their share prices tumbled as people have said, how are you going to come back into this market, which we've just described as very competitive right now. Uh, and now you see this deal where they're sort of coming together and they're kind of um, the first sort of idea that they would come closer together was when we've, we've got a new CEO as well in, in Spark, but also they sold Lightbox at the beginning of that six months ago or so, didn't they? So that was their entertainment platform. This is Spark. Yeah. And, and that's that's just been basically absorbed by, by Neon. And now they're going to look as if they're going to sort of change on uh, on sport. Uh, I suspect that, and, you know, I don't know, like you say, I don't know what the, the whole behind the scenes deal is, but maybe it's more of an entree where Spark kind of looks for a an elegant way to sort of divest itself of its sport offering is, 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 is just a, uh, an opinion that I have. I noticed it was talked about by one analyst in the Herald today um, and I think there is, you've got to say to yourself when you look at Spark's strategy which they came out in an investor day th- about a month ago they said three things. They said um, 5G obviously huge, uh, looking at infrastructure and then uh, I think more of an enterprise play and I thought those were two really interesting yeah. things. 5G because we know it's it, you know it's going to be incremental probably because of the economics of it. Uh, enterprise because uh, well you know there's people called, called AWS and um, Azure who are hot in the, in the New Zealand market right now. 
our local players have about 40-50% share but how is that going to change once the data regions come in you know Microsoft's um, that's that's such an interesting space to play and Spark Sport Mm, I didn't even really analyze yeah, the whole sport yeah, thing, yeah. but I felt where, like where, it's, where it's does, a hard does, play. Where does that fit? And look, they've, is a they've, hard they've, game. they've dropped a lot of money in trying to, you know, own part of that ent- ent- entertainment niche. And look, well, New, got New Zealand is a, is, a, is a tough market. And mm-hmm. what we've got with Sky is they're now a much leaner and meaner entity to actually take on and and fight now we're looking a couple of, i mean their their market cap is a business they're you know a little over a quarter of a million a uh, quarter of a billion dollars compared to spark yeah, uh, yeah, yeah 8.7 8. billion so very different size businesses um, and actually now sky yeah i i feel they're they're going to be a more agile and and focused business that yeah, probably do have a future, but it's a very different future than what you know shareholders might have expected. Uh, you know, a, cu- a couple of years ago. Um, oh, but, absolutely. But is there room for two of these types of types of players? Hmm. And and sport is so in a way. I mean, everybody. It's so niche in a way. It's it's it's. it's are you a motorsport fan? Are you a um, you know a, an Olympics fan? Are you a rugby fan? You know, it used to be we were all rugby fans. Turns out not everybody is anymore. You know, but. Basketball's huge, and, and for amongst the millennial and the Zeds and all the rest of that generation, so such a hard game. But you know what I say to Spark and to all of them: good on you for giving it a go, for trying things and seeing what happens. But I mean, it's such a different experience to when we think what for even five years ago and the stranglehold that Sky had on content in New Zealand mm, and how mm. that has changed. It's just a completely different landscape right now. And I agree with you; it is one of the more interesting. Uh, battles to watch in, in New Zealand tech. And and the thing here, look, we've seen the, the the big, big business competing with the smaller businesses who have got everything to lose. You know, we saw it with BlackBerry. Now, they ended up having some other aspects to their business. Yeah. But the core of what BlackBerry was has gone. There will be people who listening who don't even know what BlackBerry is. That, and yet, <laughs> to you and I, it was the thing. I mean, how the BlackBerry Pearl, I still recall my first sighting of it but yes I know smartphones I've got actually had it on my uh, in in front of me today the old Palm Pilot I I saw one of these on Trade Me for $25 and that took me back to my first uh, yeah truly mobile computing experience in the the 90s that I took around the world with me in my pocket and gave me communications and email and and a a level of uh, web browsing Um, yeah that that was you know one of many companies that that was you know singularly focused and they failed but I'm I guess I'm feeling more upbeat around uh, Sky's future probably than I have for for a while and I couldn't, couldn't say I can um, necessarily sort of tag it back to any specifics but I think that what they do is not going away there's still going to be sport to consume in New Zealand and because that's what they live and breathe and do um, I I do I, wonder mm. whether they're just focused enough and hungry enough yep. that that despite them being 
minnow is probably the wrong word, but they sort of are in a way compared to the broader um, you know scale of market cap of Spark at least, mm. and and of international players like Amazon. Should Amazon decide to get into the market, um, you know they they really have been working hard to ensure that this is still a business that exists and is and is relevant in a decade from now. Agree. And I would also say one of the really interesting moves that I thought the new CEO did was the was the was to go after the rugby. I mean I just said before we're not all watching it, but quite frankly, the All Blacks is probably one of New Zealand's biggest brands. Yeah. You know, and so to to be able to harness um, that and to, to bring them into the tent well, I think they've got a five percent shareholding and maybe that diminishes us if you can't put capital in. I don't know how it works. But the interesting thing is to take that international brand and you can see, you know, when you see those big sports brands, they supersede their own nations. They supersede their own communities. Manchester United, as an example, comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. You can see the All Blacks doing that. You can see them creating a brand around the All Blacks. I mean, it's not just about, um, you know, Spark was able to go after Rugby World Cup because they weren't actually on the ground with the cameras and all the infrastructure that goes with it. You know, a little bit of commentary, etc. They did. Mm, I mean, I'm not, mm. I'm not downplaying the technical expertise that they had to bring on board to enable it but Sky's got the whole lot you know well they did they've sold that side off so they've, they've sold that piece off but they've got the experience yeah they've got the experience yeah. and the understanding yeah. of it yeah. so that's yeah. what I'm saying is that they, yeah, and yeah. they get the branding deep, and deep the ideas around it and yeah. sport's a different game to telco yeah. but again yeah. good on them for, for having a you know putting it out there, putting competition into the market. Yeah. And and look, yeah, I, I mean, I'm still very keen to, to see how it plays out. Um, and look, I have, you know, I have a subscription to Sparksport, but not to Sky Sport. Um, so and and there will be other people in that. You know, did you in do that, Sparksport because position. of the rugby? Um, and just kept I've, it. I've been watching the Formula One actually. Oh, okay. That's you know, I mean, I'm not someone that's generally been huge on on sport. Um, but yeah, that that's that's kind of something that I've I've been watching. You know, the last you know couple of years, and so yeah, I you know I pay for it for for that purpose. And, yeah. and they kind of get you in the thin end of the wedge where it's free to start with. And then that disappears, and and then you're consuming the content, right? So very smart. Now, a um, couple more things we wanted to talk about quickly uh, before we finished up. Last week we spoke about um, Starlink, and this is a satellite internet service uh, from Elon Musk's firm uh, SpaceX, and that may end up as a separate entity in its own right, but part of SpaceX at the moment. Um, so what uh, what we weren't what we weren't told in the uh, in the discussion. Was our, uh, our our journalist last week uh, was actually in the middle of writing a little bit of a story about ah. uh, about Starlink. Uh, so there there's a, a little bit more that uh, Henry has shared uh, in his article across at Business Desk. So uh, those that are you know were, were interested in that from our discussion last week, he he delves in. And uh, I guess the, you know the the interesting thing for me is that it uh, seems New Zealand is one of uh, four locations uh, globally where we will have a um, effectively a ground station that will link these internet satellites back to Earth, 
and apparently that's going to be hooked up by to a 100 gigabits per second um, fibre connection. So there's going to be a fair bit of uh, you know bandwidth uh, firing up there. Of course, if you spread that out across a lot of connections, it may not seem seem so much. But yeah, quite interesting. And he's done some some good research on that front uh, around uh, Starlink as it relates to uh, New Zealand. Now. Um, the other thing we've got here is the iPhone 12. We talked a little bit about that last week. I've had a little bit of time looking at an iPhone uh, 12, and it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, a product red version, which was the um, the only one I've managed to uh, snaffle. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to get some sort of full review devices over the well, the next 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 few days, and to get some more time. Um, probably the thing that caught me is the uh, the base iPhone 12. It's a fifteen hundred dollar phone. Uh, when you compare that, and you, I, I guess in some ways you, you're silly to ever compare an iPhone to an Android handset because mm. of the software. It's a whole different ecosystem, and so on. Um, but I I just felt a little bit a little bit disappointed that that, that fifteen hundred dollar price point for people going into an iPhone 12 there's no zoom lens there's two cameras and we're seeing some you know some some quite reasonable $500 uh, Android handsets now that have you know, got three lenses no they're not going to match what you get on an iPhone you know 12 and you know what they can do in terms of night viewing and so on um, but I compare the iPhone 12 to the iPhone X and it's got the benefit of this, you know, super wide-angle lens that the iPhone, you know, X, you know, d- didn't have, um, you know, a couple of years or so back. Um, but it misses out. Not, you know, the zoom lens is, is gone. At that stage, we had that two-time zoom lens. So mm, mm. Um, you've got to step up to the Pro to uh, <laughs> to really get those those camera features. And the Pro uh, iPhone 12 Pro starts at uh, I think about nineteen hundred dollars here um, in New Zealand. So I. It just, but it, uh, that's the entry level price, isn't it? it Fifteen hundred. You're getting the five G capability. You are. You're getting that, that kind of next generation, I guess, of phones. But I mean, to your point, fifteen hundred dollars is a huge amount of money to pay for a phone that is um, doesn't have same capability that an Android wants and I think in a way you can actually compare what you get for each price because to your point it's about different ecosystems but at the end of the day it's what you want, you know, it's what the consumer really needs and I mean sometimes I do think this whole super duper camera side of things, although we're getting used to it it's it, sometimes good enough is good enough you know, it doesn't yeah, and, need to and be look, That's the, just a particular area of interest for me because yes. I use the cameras and a you lot of people that's going to be that's going to be no, you know, non non-issue, and they'll appreciate. Well, actually, the super wide-angle lens is exactly exactly you know, what exactly, I'm looking exactly, for. Exactly, exactly yeah. what I need. Mm. And and look, we're we're at this point now where the top phones have amazing, amazing cameras. I know. Um, I haven't been able to um, try the. Um, 
we call it mag magsafe um, capability yet. I don't know that there are any accessories out in the in the market yet. There may be one or two, um, but I haven't tried that. So there's a whole lot sort of more uh, coming. And look, Apple hold a you know such an important role within the smartphone market. Mm. And really, when we look back, it was the iPhone that you know that completely killed you know BlackBerry. Di- disrupted the market. You know, mm. uh, killed BlackBerry, made a made a mockery of uh, of Microsoft, especially uh, Steve, Steve Barmer, yeah. uh, the then CEO, who uh, you know who said it would get you know no traction in the market or you know his his, his comments. Um, so. It's iPhone. We will, we will we will come back. We'll come back to that and the and so on another episode. But I wanted to jump in and just hear from you, Sarah, um, about this interview that you've uh, you've done. Yeah. So um, yeah. On the the uh, new New Zealand uh, telecommunications telecommunications uh, uh, commissioner uh, Trish, Tristan uh, Gilbertson. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, what did you learn? Is uh, is this something well, that we should be happy about? Well, well, I think that what's very interesting is that he took over the role in June, so he's very new. Um, but I think the last telco commissioner, Stephen Gale, had had the role for a couple of terms, so it's good to see a refresh. Although Stephen Gale did a good job, you know, nothing, you know, all good. So what what um, is this role? Describe so the role. To the people. role is it works in the Commerce Commission and it's there to oversee the telecommunications market and to ensure that we have a competitive market. Now, those of us who um, remember BlackBerry will also remember about the same time that we had a very light-handed regulatory um, regime in New Zealand and that resulted in the monopoly called Telecom. Um, Nobody could put their services into exchanges. We were paying too much. We didn't have any innovation. It was all just a terrible place to be. Now we have a world-class regime and Tristan Gilbertson's come in as the Telco Commissioner with a sort of a new brief because there was a new piece of the Telco Act was amended in 2018. Now, I'm not going to go into all the whys and wherefores because people like myself can get quite excited by regulation, regulatory changes. And I know, I understand that that is not a widespread <laughs> interest. However, what I would say is one thing to look out for is in that Act is something called a Part 7. Hmm. And what's that is it's giving him or that role much closer scrutiny of the consumer side of things. So in the past, it's been really much more about have we got a regulated market? Are we creating competition? If we do, we'll get innovation and cheaper pricing will follow. Now it's like directly looking at them. And what he's doing, he's doing things like the um, they examined 80,000 mobile bills and they came up with this with this. Um, with the conclusion that a lot of people are actually on um, paying for plans that they're not using. This, this is interesting because we discussed this some some mm, weeks ago mm. when uh, Greg from Gorilla was was in here, um, and, and, and I'm keen to delve into that a little bit more because the pain that it causes when you get, you know, for instance, elderly people who don't know that Just actually the the world and these things has changed. And I mean, in his case, it was a it was a, a close member, of, you know, associate of their family was paying ten times what she needed to be paying for her monthly uh, mobile bill with mm-hmm. a particular telecommunications provider in New Zealand. You can understand from their perspective, hey, we're we're making a huge margin here. 
but as soon as that account was flipped, it went from a three or four hundred dollar a month bill to a thirty to forty dollar a month bill that actually probably provided more more data um, and, and a better you know, service for un, that person. Un, un, uncapped, mm. Uh, mm. you know, calls to New Zealand and Australia, which was where you know, I think it was they were clocking up toll calls for a, a few hours with the calls a month to Australia, and and you know, a few hundred dollars disappeared. Uh, so yeah, these are really good things to be uh, delving into, yeah. and I'm I'm sure there'll be uh, some discomfort um, on the telecommunication side, and you know, of course, these these things do have a flow on because you know the funds that go into into our telcos uh, is what allows them to employ all the people they have, um, and so on. So um, it, it'll You've, be interesting to see how these things you know play out, you know, as um, money moves around into into different places, but. You know, you can imagine over over time, um, you know, we end up with with a somewhat slimmer uh, telecommunications, um, you know, sector as the market gets gets more mature, and certainly in certain in certain uh, areas. Absolutely, and that is where, if you're a telecommunications communi- commissioner, if you're a regulator, that is the line you tread, because what you have to do is you have to create a setting and a world where telcos are incentivized to invest. We've talked about five G. That's a massive investment for them. Um, and great to see, all, you know, now it's not only absolutely. Vodafone and Spark, but Two Degrees are saying, hey, they're, yeah. they're going to be in that and market by the end of 2021 as well. So this is the investment an overlay. keeps coming in. Yeah, this is, an, this, is an increment, this is an overlay technology. They've got to build more cell sites. They've got to do put a lot of money into creating an investment. So you want to incentivize that investment. But at the same time, you want to make sure that consumers are getting a fair deal. And um, you can have both, apparently. And uh, we've certainly got, I think, uh, the right person in the chair to ensure that happens. No pressure, Tristan Gilbertson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we probably have to uh, look at uh, whether whether he would be... Comfortable being on this show because we might. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, he's got a very good background, actually. He's um, he, people um, even before BlackBerry, there was this thing called Bell South, which actually Vodafone bought, and it brought competition into the mobile market in the nineties. And he, that's where he I started. Was one of their first customers. Well, of course, you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying out the new technology. Yeah. Well, I had a flatmate who was one of his first customers. <laughs> it, so um, it was. It was funny because you would, um, you know, you, their coverage was, was was rubbish at the beginning, right? And it felt like there must. Have been just about you know one staff member at Vodafone per customer because <laughs> because yeah you'd call up about something and they and they would just spend you know so much time and effort they wanted to retain that you know hundred customers or something that, that they initially had. Well, when he when he started he was that was his, sort of where he began his law career and he mm. said there was no regulatory backstop so it was yeah. incredibly hard to get traction into the market. I remember them coming through because my flatmate showed me his new phone and it wasn't a big brick and so he, it kind of just suddenly. When you get competition, you get that kind of innovation. Um, and then he, interestingly, worked for Vodafone for a while, but then he came back to New Zealand and he worked during the operational separation years. Mm-hmm. So this is when telecom had the regulatory book thrown at it and it had to split itself artificially into three, wholesale, network and retail. And, of course, the network arm became chorus and that eventually became 
to a separate company to Telecom, which then became Spark. So he was there during the operational separation years. This is when they had to create an entire new computer system so that their retail arm, their Gen Eyes, remember that name, and um, their retailers, they could they got the same view of what was happening in the network as an Orcon, say, or mm, a mm. or a, a slingshot, or a um, you know, or, or a small ISP anywhere. You know, they got the same view. So massive investment in then, and then of course they split, they they split that company in two so they could create the fibre network. That's right. And he went and left after that and went to this company called Digicel, which if anybody's um, holiday in the islands, and remember when we used to be able to leave the country, they will notice that that was always the competitor telco in all the uh, in the Pacific Islands yeah. and also in the Caribbean. And that network's fascinating because it's owned by a billionaire Irishman called Dennis O'Brien. And it's always, I mean, I've always been slightly fascinated by that company. How can one person own all of that? And it was interesting when I was talking, and you must have him on because he's, he's, he's a good, interesting character. And he talked about the fact that having come from, uh, you know, shareholders and publicly listed companies, you'd always be, when every decision you make, you'd be thinking, oh, what are the, what's this going to be like for the shareholder? And when he got to Digicel, he could just ask the guy. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, isn't it? Well, we, we must wrap up. Um, but before we do, I want to say a huge thank you to our show partners. And we have this incredible relationship with these uh, brands who stand behind and support the show. Um, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology and Umbrella Connect. And and what's special here is these are companies that not only support and make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible, they support the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand, and they allow us to crucify them on this podcast <laughs> if we feel that that's appropriate on any given day. So they have no editorial control, uh, which is quite awesome. And it's actually really interesting, some of the discussions I've had with mainstream media mm. when we t- want, I want to talk about a particular topic. And I've heard them say, let's just skip that today because that's going to conflict with our, um, with the sponsor of, you know, Not this here. thing or something we're doing. Not but that here. doesn't happen on this no show. No way. No so, way. Um, yeah, so, yeah, th- so real huge thank you to uh, to those brands for their support. And um, Sarah Putt, great to have you on the show. Lovely now, to be here. for those that are interested in, um, in reading that interview, where do they need to go? Uh, computerworld.co.nz and, um, and they'll find it. Just um, It's actually still on the homepage, so have a look. That's great. Excellent. It's a long read, though. It's a okay. One, though. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, and we'll be back again next week. All right. See ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.